Hey guys, today I am talking with Justina Hausman Kopp, and she is a former campus minister and now a mom to four little ones, but not in the way you might think. So I want you to listen to this really interesting story because you're going to get so much information about how to prioritize your relationship in the midst of being busy with four little ones. And what I really appreciated about my conversation with her was I don't want to give everything away, but um, some of her theological reflections throughout our conversation. So check this out. I can't wait for you to hear it. And let's not wait any longer. Let's jump in. Hi, I'm Regina Boyd, licensed marriage and family therapist and licensed mental health counselor, and your host of the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Here we talk about connections with our families as they relate to our mental health and Catholic faith, all while connecting you with those you love the most. Thanks for joining me for this episode. Let's dive in. Justina, thank you so much for being on the Connecting Out Loud podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Now, for those who are not familiar with you, can you just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, so I am a mother of four. Um, I have quadruplet four and a half year olds. Um, and I live <laughs> in the <laughs> Twin Cities with them and my husband, Matthew. Um, I've been married for, uh, we're coming up on six years this September. So um, I'll, we've packed a lot of life <laughs> into a very short amount of time. Wow, yeah, quadruplets, you said. <laughs> This, I mean, this is part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you because, I mean, it's so uncommon. It's crazy. And I really just want to hear this story. I think it's um, so beautiful. So tell us more about what that was like when you found out you were having quadruplets. Um, what were some of those like fears, excitements, expectations? Just tell us the story. What was that all about? What was that like? <laughs> yeah. So uh Right when we got married, uh, we got pregnant shortly thereafter. And um, unfortunately, we ended up losing that baby. And I have PCOS and endometriosis, which makes fertility um, a bit of a mess. And so um, I had been receiving some help with, with that. And very clearly it worked because uh, we <laughs> ended up with four all at once. And when I went into that initial ultrasound, I really was convinced that something was going wrong. Um, not only because our first pregnancy had resulted in a miscarriage, but I'd been having some like very intense pains, um, right around my right ovary. So I, of course, consulted Google and had convinced myself that I was having an ectopic pregnancy. Um, that just turned out to be a really huge cyst, uh, and uh, they obviously found four uh, teeny tiny babies uh, alongside that cyst. So wow. those first 48 hours, I always talk about them as being some of like the most joyful moments of our life um, as, as a married couple that we were just, we were so shocked and like you said, it's incredibly rare. Um, with the medication I was on, the, there is no data for quadruplets. Um, the data that exists uh, 
is for twins and triplets. So for triplets, it's 0.3%. So less than 0.3% chance. Um, and wow. here we are with them. And so it was just, we were expecting, you know, bad results. And then we had this like abundance, you know? Um, so it was just pure joy. Uh, and it wasn't until two days later when all of the, the reality started <laughs> sinking in of what it was going to mean. And, um, and we got really scared and panicked, but it all, it all worked out. Yeah. I mean, and what did having four kids do at once, having four kids at once, because I think that's an important distinguisher to put there. What did that do for your marriage? I mean, what are some of those unique challenges that you guys faced? Yeah. So one of the things that I had read about, um, and also just sort of observed in various moms of multiples groups that I'm part of is that the rate of divorce seems to be higher mm. um, than compared to singleton parents. And I was terrified of that. Like we had been married uh, seven months when we found out that we were having four and the kids were born exactly six weeks after our first wedding anniversary. So wow. everything happened in this like turbo speed, you know, and with that, like we, these were our only children. We did not know what it meant to even have just one child. So I feel like all of those like stresses and fears were sort of compounded. Um, and one thing that we really made a point of doing, especially in that first year is uh, going out on regular dates, just outside of the house, making a point to get out of the stress and even if that was like a really short, like we're running an errand to Target together and we're going to stop at a coffee shop along the way or just grabbing a really quick lunch somewhere, just having set apart time for one another um, made all the difference for us. But I mean, it's tough. You know, you're sleep deprived and you're terrified. Like that pregnancy was really rough. Um, was not something I really want to repeat ever again. <laughs> Cause it was just, it was so intense, um, for a whole host of reasons. But I mean, when we came out on the other end of it, you know, what, once that kid's first birthday, when we were, you know, just marveling at all that we had done, my husband had put together this really, uh, really cute video of the kid's first year. And it was wild, you know, obviously very emotional, uh, but just wild to see like, wow, like not only did those kids grow, but we grew, like we, we grew. And to see like where we had come was just so, so cool. I was so proud of us. Wow. Um, what, what would you say are some of those unique challenges that you guys faced in, the, in those early well, years? Yeah. You don't have a lot of like relatability, you know? So you know, you have friends, we had friends who had gotten married around sing similar times as us and had, you know, their first kids around the same time as us, but they're having one, you know, so them talking about, you know, you know, this kid isn't sleeping or, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I don't really want to talk about my problems here because uh, I don't want to make you feel bad. And people are already playing that comparison game with me. So then as a couple, we're also feeling that. So that there's like this automatic like isolation factor um, that goes into all of that. And I, I mm. also think that uh, we faced a lot of 
I mean, there's like a spiritual aspect to all of this, right? You know, you're wondering like, why me? Like it's three in the morning and you haven't slept well and everyone's crying and um, everything is, you, you, those normal first, parent, first time parent things, but I had four tiny infants screaming at me, you know? Um, but it was really, you know, even though it was, that was really tough and really hard on us and like could create some like really intense tension with us. It was really neat that like, I always looked up and there, there he was, that Matthew was always there, that um, he is a really hands-on father and a really, um, he really wants to be involved. And there are lots of things that he does far better than I do. Um, and that was really, really neat to see. But I mean, <laughs> it was tough. It was really, really tough. Yeah. How do you balance that learning to be learning to be a good parent and loving your children while feeling like you're at your max, you're being stretched thin. I mean, how do you, how did you do that? I mean, this last year has been like a marathon in that, um, and learning how to balance that. And you're, we've been removed so much from like the things that, you know, can almost distract from what's really going on and so here we are like we're in a, a house together 24 7 um and you know that's everyone's experience like how tough and how difficult that can be um but just again taking that time apart you know now we've had to be a little more creative about what that means you know uh if that just means moving to us a, a different part of the house than where the kids usually hang out in <laughs> you know at the end of the day or you know, just being very intentional about in-home date nights. Um, yeah, like I, I need that time to recharge. Like I, I really need that time. Like when things aren't right with Matt, like things are not right with the whole rest of the house, you know? Um, and so like making an intentional deliberate time for ourselves separately and ourselves together, that, that makes me a better mom. That makes me a far better mother to be able to if I'm investing in myself, I can invest in them um, because otherwise I, everything falls apart. Everything unravels. Yeah. I love that you said intentional time. I feel like that's huge and that a lot of people forget because you can just sort of let life go by. And especially with a family of quadruplets, you know, life can go by very quickly if you're not taking that time to be intentional about it. Um, and just make sure that your needs are getting met. And then I thought it was really interesting what you said about, you know, when Matt and I aren't doing well, then that affects the rest of the family. And I, I just, I, th I think I'm going to chew on that for a little bit, because yeah. I think we underestimate how much our relationship really does lay the foundation for the mood and the tone in the house. Yeah, I'm a really deep feeler. Um, and... <laughs> I'm not, I'm really not good at compartmentalizing things. Uh, and so then if that's, if that's not doing well, I feel like it spills off into the rest of everything. And I, I am working on that, like working on like figuring out how to separate the two for a little bit, because it's not, it is not fair. Um, but I mean, my heart, like <laughs> if I, if I'm experiencing this tension over here, it's really hard, you know, to set that aside and be like, okay, child, like this problem that you, <laughs> that you have created, you know, spilling things everywhere or whatever, like it's really hard to have that patience. But again, the intentional time, the intentional conversations, the in, like just 
setting that time apart. Like, I, I mean, going back to like the, the divorce rate, the high divorce rate among like multiples parents, like this is it. Like, this is why, because you get so, you can get so wrapped up in your children that this, this problem over here doesn't never gets resolved. And then you look up after a few years and you realize like, where is that person? Like, I, I don't even know who that person is, you know? Um, so yeah, we've, we put a lot of, a lot of work into us. Yeah. So what are, what are some more of those things that you guys do to stay in love, to continue? I kind of love asking couples this question in general and like to continue to build that emotional intimacy. What do you do to keep your connection? We have a lot of like, uh, similar interests, like, especially when it comes to things we enjoy, like watching or like learning about. Um, and so like, that's always something that we can come back to. Uh, even if it's like, I mean, Matt's still working from home. So he's, he's here, but he's not here. So like at the end of the day, like we still, he still has like, here are the things I wanted to show you. Here are the things I wanted to tell you. And I have that too. If that's even just from like, I was scrolling through and this is a hilarious meme that I wanted (laughs) you to see. And like, to be able to show him that, um, and to value him as not just my co-parent, but as like my spouse, you know? Um, and like, we love cooking. That's like something that we both really love to do. So, um, sometimes we'll, uh, we'll cook together or, um, we'll have like the kids like make them a separate dinner and then we will take our time, you know, making some like more complicated thing together. Um, and just like being in the, in the kitchen together and, and cooking. And I don't know, like there's like building something like that together, like out of love, like it's, it's, it's so fun. And I, I really love, I really love doing that. Um, and again, just like going places and talking about things we'd like to do, thinking about the things that we, um, where we want to go. Like if that's a trip or like where we want to go as like a couple, like what we want to, who we want to be. Um, and just regularly coming back to those, to those conversations and supporting one another and pushing one another on is, is really fun too. That's pretty cool. What's your favorite thing to cook? I, that's really hard to answer. Um, <laughs> I mentioned that I was like, Oh, she's totally going to answer. That. <laughs> um, so we met in Rome uh, when we were studying abroad and we didn't start dating until a couple of years after that, but we did end up going back there when we got married and honeymooned in Italy for three weeks. And so Italian food is always like something we love coming back to, but lately, um, because I've had to be gluten-free, which is the most unfortunate thing. Um, <laughs> we have been on a, um, like uh, Korean and Thai food kick. So Ooh. like last night, like I made um, a really, really good Korean beef. Um, I just love layering flavors. Like that's just so fun. You sound serious. I mean, that's some serious cooking going on. <laughs> that's uh... <laughs> I, don't, I don't want people to think that I'm like <laughs> some like master chef over here. It's like, no, no, no. I'm not creating my own recipes. I'm just very good at following someone else's recipe. <laughs> <laughs> but you're willing to try a challenging yes. recipe. That, that says a lot. That says a lot about how much you guys are into that, you know? Yeah. Um, what has being a mom of multiples done for you as a Catholic? it's really 
changed or uh, expanded my understanding of both God and Mary that like I've gotten to know like even just mothering in general like understanding who Mary is from this perspective this is a perspective I've never had before like five years ago I did not understand Mary as a mother I understood what it meant to be mothered but I didn't know what it meant to mother so that has been really eye-opening and like I give that lady mad props. <laughs> she, she is so much more powerful than I realized. Um, and I'm really grateful that I get, that I have the privilege of understanding her from that perspective, but also just like understanding, like, what does it mean? What does abundance mean? Like God mm. loving abundantly that, that Christ has this abundant love for us. Um, like I, I, one of the worries that I had as a mother was, was that I was not going to be able to like love these children in the way that they deserve because they all came at once. Um, and that's, that will always be an insecurity that I have, um, that there is so much scarcity because there's just one of me and four of them. But, um, the way that my heart and mind have expanded for them, uh, I could not have fathomed this before. Like I did not, I, I did not have any sort of context for that. Like, yes, I, I'd had a, a, a miscarriage before and had like grown in love for that child in such a, a small amount of time. Like you make plans so fast and you start loving so quickly. Um, I had love for that child before the lines were dry on that <laughs> pregnancy test, you know, but it is an, an entirely different experience to like hold a child and name a child and I, I don't know, um, and to, to delight in that child in that way. And then to think like, oh, God delights in me that way. Like God wants my good the way that I want the good of my children. Um, and, and to like lean into the, lean into the, the parenting aspect of God that, um, I've spent a lot of my like early twenties, like focusing on like, okay, Jesus is my friend. Like, <laughs> um, but to, to think of God as like my father has been, um, so good. And has like really changed like the way that I pray too. that, like, I can, my kids will cry out for me, you know, just in, mm. in just out of necessity, out of need, they'll, they'll cry out for me and that I can do that too. I can cry out in prayer and just say, I need you. This is not some fancy recited prayer. Like this is really ugly and messy and I'm really frustrated. And I just, I need you right now. Mm. Um, and that sometimes the only prayer that I can put out is just like, Jesus, like just be here right now. Um, yeah, the, the, the faith in it's like really boring, ordinary moments is, that's been the most transformative part for me is that um, especially here in the pandemic, like not being able to like attend mass, like I did before, you know, that in these like ordinary mundane moments that like, he's there too. Wow. That is so beautiful. Now you got to tell us some of your tricks of the trade. You've had to have learned some <laughs> <laughs> tricks of juggling responsibilities by this point, you know, fill us in. What are, what are some of your <laughs> go-to tricks? I have found that my children really thrive on consistency and that's probably the most obvious thing in the world. Um, but 
also thrive on consistency. So um, in the early days, it was, you know, here's the schedule. They came home on a schedule, which was glorious. <laughs> um, and they came home eating at the same time and sleeping at the same time. So we just moved right into that. Um, and we've sort of carried aspects of that through to here, them being four and a half that like, this is when, this is when we wake up. This is when we eat. This is when we play. And this is when we, when we, um, have a snack, like, and moving through the day that way that like, if there are surprises, like if we're doing something out of the ordinary, like we're going to go somewhere that like, I give them advanced warning so that they're not like, wait, what? Like transitions can be, I have a couple of kids where transitions are just very tough. So like just being consistent and communicating with them. Um, one thing that I've really wanted to instill in my children is emotional intelligence. And I find that if I am listening to them and honoring their little tiny, little tiny bodies and their little tiny emotions, um, fights get resolved, like disagreements and, you know, tantrums get resolved so much faster and they're able to communicate better with one another. Mm. Um, just the other day I was talking, talking with my kids and I asked one of them if they wanted to tell, like retell a story, you know, tell something that had happened earlier in the day. And he turned to me and he was like, no, thanks. He didn't want to tell me about it. He didn't want to explain it. And I was like, well, cool. Good for you. Like, go, you go and assert yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that there was a, a generation of parenting where you would make the child do things that we were so focused on, like making these kids submit and, and like perform, like be a certain way, you know, we're training our children instead, like honoring the future adult that they're going to be honoring the whole human that they are. um, That goes a long way. That really goes a long way. I love that. Yeah. Asserting a four-year-old asserting (laughs) themselves, but it's, it's so true. I mean, if they don't learn it now, when, when else are they going to learn it? Right. Right. As well be under your supervision and under your encouragement. Yes. Now I know you're in an interracial relationship, a multicultural relationship. What advice would you give to other couples who are dating or maybe just newly starting out marriage who are in that situation, like a multi multicultural relationship? Um, setting firm boundaries and setting like good expectations for what good communication looks like. Um, We've had a lot of uh, really good conversations, but there's been a lot of growth um, for us in that area, especially in the last, um, I would say four years, like since the kids, since the kids arrived on the scene, like I really had to start asserting myself because I'm, because I knew that I had come to uh, a place where I was allowing all sorts of things happen to me and would just sort of be like, okay, well, that's just life, you know, but then when I'm realizing, you know, oh, this can happen to them. So I shouldn't let it happen to me. I have to respect myself if I'm ever going to teach these kids to respect themselves. Um, and just wanting to protect them from that hurt. So, I mean, we've had to set some firm boundaries with my in-laws in terms of like what is acceptable and what isn't. And, and if people aren't willing to to go along with that, to listen to that and to respect that, then, you know, we have to set even firmer boundaries there. Um, and to not be afraid to do that, that like, we are not meant to, 
make other people comfortable at our expense that, you know, the family might want to make a, a joke about you know, some racist joke in my presence. Uh, that might be really comfy for them, but it is extremely uncomfy for me. So I have to assert and that's, that's wrong. Like, especially coming from the perspective of a Catholic, racism is a sin. I can't sit here and let them do this in front of me. It is not good for them or good for me. Um, just not being afraid to do that, that it is good. You are loving yourself well. You are loving them well if you don't let them do that. Um, also, like, take pride in who you are. Like, take pride in what your background is and, um where you came from and, and find really cool ways to incorporate that and to share that, uh, especially because once kids arrive, you're gonna, you are gonna wanna share that with them. Um, so you don't want it to be like a huge surprise, like surprise, Matt, I'm half Kenyan, you had no idea. <laughs> no, he went to Kenya, he's gone to Kenya before we were even uh, dating and married. So he, he knows. Um, that that but, worked out well, yeah. Yeah, it did. <laughs> um, but to share that into, um, I think a lot of it comes down to the understanding that like this anti-racist work doesn't just belong to the, the people of color, that like it's not, it's not just for them. The, the benefit of anti-racist work is not just for them, it's for all of us. When you make more room at the table, when you're making more space, when you're making space in your relationship for that, it is better for both of you if you come in as two whole people that you're not hiding any of that, or you're not allowing that to be like shoved in a box in the back of the closet, like you want that to be right there and, and, and part of it because it's, everyone is better for it. Yeah. I love, I love this topic so much. Such a near and dear to my heart for lots of personal reasons, obviously, but I just, I think what you said about, being whole individuals, bringing your whole self. And I think, you know, interracial, intercultural couples really provide this beautiful opportunity and example of how to do that a little bit, being willing to get messy and share part of yourself, share who you are and have that be welcomed and accepted and loved. And, you know, like you said, in those, in those places or there's areas where that, that isn't always the case, having to keep your marriage first and keep your relationship first and draw those boundaries where you need to. Um, but I think it's just such a beautiful sign and opportunity of, of how to express, you know, that love and God's love to, to each other and, and hopefully be that witness to the people around you. So, yeah, I wish that I'd had more of the conversations before we got married. There were lots mm. of things that I, I either didn't know or just didn't acknowledge um, prior to it because I was just like so focused on Matt and I was like, well, I love you. So I guess it's like, I can, I can put up with something if, if, if it means being with you, but that's, you know, that's not, that's not necessarily a healthy way to do this. That um, if, if I'm, if I'm like, if Matt loves me as much as he does, then he's willing to set those boundaries too, because they protect him too. Um, yeah, to not, I, I don't know, just like to be open and honest and, and to set boundaries before marriage, like to set that boundary ahead of time um, would have saved us 
a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of like sort of baptism by fire, you know, um, right. where it was like, this is an urgent problem now. We haven't talked much about this before, but now we have to figure out what to do about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we had had a, we had had a, a, uh, I don't know if it was a rule. I don't know what you would call it, but we had this thing where we were each other's, fa- we were each family's ambassador. So I was like the Hausman family ambassador and Matt is the cop family ambassador because I speak fluent Hausman, he speaks fluent cop. That worked until racism came in because I was like, nope, Matt, you beautiful white man, you don't understand this problem the way that I do. So I, for a while, he was like still being the person to communicate those things and to hold our boundary. But there came a point where I was like, no, I have to do this. I'm, I'm the person that has to talk about this. um, If it's going to really be conveyed, like how serious it is and how much of a problem it is. Um, So I don't know, finding that balance between like, you know, emotional labor and firm boundaries, like what, what can the other person do to sort of mitigate that? And at what point do you need to step in and say, Hey, here's what, here's what it's like. Yeah, and I cannot stress enough the importance of having conversations before you get married about any topic. Yes. <laughs> like <laughs> cover as much as possible. I don't know, you know, sometimes that just gets lost in translation and people assume, oh, we'll deal with that when it happens or, you know, don't even think about it sometimes. And it's like, you really can help save yourself so many headaches, not all of them. It won't prevent everything from going wrong or, you know, not happening the way we want it to, but at least you go into marriage knowing what, that you're hopefully on the same page about something, right? So that helps you make a better informed decision, right? About, is this the person that I could build a life with? Yes. So make sure you're, and besides, you know, how many kids I want to have and, you know, what chores we're each going to do, make sure you're also including like family traditions and culture and everything and all those conversations, you know, what happens once we have kids, then what roles change. And so this is for anyone listening, <laughs> making yeah. sure you go and have that conversation urgently, or it is an urgent conversation um, before you get married, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Justina, for being here and for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Um, any closing words that you wanna share? closing thoughts uh hmm. uh (laughs) have your kids one at a time (laughs) (laughs) but if you but if you don't if you're one of the the lucky few that don't have them one at a time um please come knock on my door i'd be more than happy (laughs) to help out (laughs) awesome and how can people get in touch with you or find you you can find me on instagram at justina cop Awesome. And that's K-O-P-P for anyone listening. Okay. Thank you so much, Justina. Yeah. Thank you for having me. If you have enjoyed this episode, you can find more Connecting Out Loud content on our Facebook and Instagram pages. As always, I appreciate each and every review. So if you can take some time to rate and review this show, I read each one and I love hearing from you. Be intentional and connect out loud. Mm -hmm.